curious, how many of you are Downton Abbey fans? <laughs> I have to give you a little crap there, Sean. Yeah, um, as the rookie, the self-professed rookie. Okay, so I saw a few hands, right? Uh, uh, give, give them to me again. Downton Abbey, you're, you're hooked, you're excited this morning. How many of you are just like, what? What if it comes to British humor? I'm a Monty Python guy, right? <laughs> right. Well, hey, as we go along today, uh, I'm going to uh, make a suggestion that actually what we saw in Downton Abbey, in some respects, is a more biblical picture of family than what maybe you and I might think. <laughs> what else is a biblical picture of family? Football. Football. It's coming. It's coming. The Chiefs are, are, are getting ready for opening season, and actually that's how uh, that's how football even talks about itself. I want you to watch a video here really quickly. So if you can't access the, you know, the British storylines of nobility, we'll bring it a little bit more into uh, our understanding of perhaps how family works by watching an old video here uh, or commercial of the NFL. Let's take a quick look. So I don't know. Any chills? Did it just? Did it just kind of like? Did, no, no chills. It just come on. I mean, it's it's almost. I, I was uh, I was at, I took my daughter for her first Chiefs experience Thursday night, and there was an awesome um, family moment. The great NFL Hall of Famer Lynn Dawson passed away. I think it was just the day before. And you know about this? There was just this beautiful tribute. This was like, and you know how the Chiefs, they talk about Chiefs kingdom. What they really talk about is Chiefs family. And to start the game, when the Chiefs had their first offensive series, Patrick Mahomes ran out with his offensive line, his wide receivers, his tight ends. And they huddled up in what's call, called the choir formation. And that's instead of like in a circular huddle, the quarterback is facing his team. The team has their back to, to, uh, to the de defense. And they're, they're kind of like, they look like a little bit like a two-tiered choir. And, um, and we're watching, my daughter and I, we're watching as uh, Patrick Mahomes is like talking to each one of them. And then pretty soon he's high-fiving each one of them. And I start to look at the clock and the clock is ticking down. I'm like, oh, there's going to be a delay of game. And the next thing you know, there's a flag that gets thrown. The whistles are blown. And Patrick Mahomes high-fives everybody and then runs off the field going like this. Come on, come on. And everyone's kind of, kind of cheering because this was a moment to give tribute to Lynn Dawson. And the, uh, the referee uh, gets on his microphone and he says, delay of game, number 16. Why, anyone? Why 16? Mahomes is 15. Because that was Lynn Dawson's number. And the, uh, the opposing team, the Packers, 
they declined the penalty, right? It was just this beautiful moment. It was all that anyone talked about. And in the chief's kingdom, you could call it a great family moment. And we've had a few also other great family moments in the chief's kingdom, such as anyone? Super Bowl, third and 15 ring a bell, right? Uh, the drafting of Patrick Mahomes, and uh, you know, we go all the way back to Lynn Dawson's Super Bowl win. But we've also had some, um, some less than great moments in the Chiefs family storyline. What would that be? By the way, online community, go ahead and just post chat as you think about Chiefs. What are some less than great moments in the family story of the Chiefs? What? Derek Thomas. Yeah, his tragic accident and then ensuing death. Others? Yeah, like the Bengals lost last year. Then what happened the year before? The Super Bowl loss to the Bucks. Heard one over here. Fletcher? Oh, yes. Yeah, that may be one of the most difficult, darkest moments. Um, let's bring it up uh, just a notch. How about uh, just the name Elvis Gerback? Uh, let's see. What else? In the, the, what's that? Two and 14 season? Who was the coach? I was just trying to remember. Um, great offensive coordinator, not a great head coach. Went, went, oh yeah, and went by the name of, uh, his last name is Haley. What was his first name? Todd, that's right. How about the Vermeil years? What did you think about those? Awesome offense, but horrible defense, right? So there's all sorts of storylines. We didn't mention Tyreek Hill leaving. Uh, the Kareem Hunt incident, right? Uh, even just how Alex Smith was treated. He, uh, he was the most prolific passer the year before, and we just kind of drop-kicked him in favor of Mahomes. I wasn't for that at the time. I'm a big fan of that decision now, <laughs> if I'm honest. What's that? Joe Delaney. Yeah, there's a great documentary on him. Family has all your family, my family, we all have moments like that, don't we? And in some ways, it's easier to talk about the chief's issues than our own issues. And also in Downton Abbey, all the storylines of infertility, death, loss, these great kind of moments all coming together. Family is beautiful. Family is broken. Family is messy. Family is hard for every single one of us. So to enter into this, even the series, Insta Family, where we're going, look, this isn't built in an instant. This isn't something that's just shiny and glossy that you can post over social media. There is a level of grit. There is a level of challenge. There's always dysfunction in family. But how can we learn how to thrive in those spaces? How can we navigate the difficult spaces of family? I don't know if you heard this story, it goes back a, a couple of few years, but Madonna, the pop star, uh, was, was estranged from her like 16-year-old son. Uh, his name is Rocco Ricky. And in order to get her son back, she had to uh, issue or request a court order to bring him back. And I just, my heart breaks. I mean, no matter what you might think of Madonna and all of that, I just go, the heart of the mom coming out, having no other idea, how do I get my son back other than through uh, legal means? 
And some of us know that pain and some of us know that story. And actually, so does the mother of Jesus. I'm intrigued by the story of Madonna and her son Rocco because actually what Madonna did to bring her son back is a little bit what we find in the scriptures of what Jesus' mom, Mary, did to bring him home. You know this story? You're like, am I comparing Madonna to Mary, the mother of Jesus? No, but it's a similar situation. So let's look. If you want, if you have a Bible, you can look at that, or we'll put it up on the screens for you. Mark chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 20, and here's the context. Jesus, by the way, he's just invited his disciples to go on this journey. They're healing people. There's, a, there's some mojo starting to just kind of like the name Jesus, the word on the street is, man, this guy's got something going on. We should pay attention. Verse 20, then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. Now, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said, He is out of his mind. So let's just get a, let's drill down into the quote unquote nuclear family of Jesus. By this point, we have no idea what's happened to his adoptive father, Joseph. He's completely at the age of of 12. He's completely um, vanished from the narrative. His brothers are not so keen to Jesus. They, if you look in other places, they kind of mock him. They're not on board with their brother being the whole Messiah thing. Who would be if your brother was the Messiah, right? And then his own mom, who had angelic visitations and made all of these amazing pronouncements at his birth, is now going, oh, I don't know. I think my son has lost his mind, This is not like the perfect little Instagram family that you insta-post up there. There is dysfunction in Jesus' earthly nuclear family. And so mom and brothers, who knows where dad is, they've come to take him away. They've come to say this is an embarrassment to the family. This whole thing, I liked it in theory, but now that I'm seeing in reality, no bueno. Let's put him in a straitjacket. Let's bring him home so he doesn't bring shame upon our family name. That's what's going on. That's what's happening in Jesus' family. Now, they're on their way. So this is kind of a meanwhile. So the family is on their way in pursuit to find Jesus, bring him away. Jesus is in the house. Everyone's pressed in. And some like religious, you know, uh, elitists, some religious kind of, uh, you know, uh, what would you call them? Hot shots. They roll in from Jerusalem, the big city, and they start attacking Jesus and saying, hey, all this miracle stuff you're doing, it's by the power of Satan. And you've got literally an impure spirit. So Jesus starts to dialogue about that. And he's going on about... Uh, that discourse, when, verse 31, track with me here, then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. They're standing outside. They can't get in. So they sent someone in to call him. Now, a crowd, right, still there pressing in, can't even eat. It's just jam-packed. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, you know, it was kind of like mouth to mouth, like, tell, tell Jesus his mom and brothers are here. Okay, tell Jesus his mom and brothers are here. Tell Jesus they're Get all the way to whoever's sitting right at his feet. Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here. 
and they're looking for you. Now, what would be the right and respectable thing for Jesus to do in that moment as a good Middle Eastern Jewish boy in that day in the culture? Yeah, it would simply for him to just get up, stop whatever he's doing. You pay utmost respect to your mother. I don't know about your brothers. I think you just, you know, you just, maybe it just are, <laughs> you just treat your brothers like we do today. It's like, yeah, whatever, buddy, right? Kidding about that. But at least to the mom and to the family name, you would expect Jesus in that moment to just stop whatever he's doing and pay honor and respect to his mother. And instead, he asks a question. Well, who are my mother and my brothers? Oh, oh could you imagine you're, you're Mary in that moment? How many of you have... Um, have kids right now in the kid zone, right? So you go to pick them up after the service, and they say to your child, your mom or your dad or your grandparent, uh, they're here for you, and what if your kid said, well, who are my mother? <laughs> who is my father, right? Could you imagine? It's like, that's me, right? You just imagine the, the shock in, as that got reported back. Jesus says that, and they repeat it back, and then all of a sudden it just goes from one mouth to the next mouth to Mary and brothers standing on the outside going, did he really just say that? And then he expounds. He says, it says, then he looks at those seated in a circle around him and said, well, here, here are my mother and my brothers and whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mothers. This is crazy talk in that day and in that time and that culture. Who's sitting, by the way, around them? As we piece together the story, there's like, there's a hated tax collector or two. There's a zealot who wants to take on uh, the authorities and wants to just you know, rebel against all power. There's Susanna, a uh, housewife. There's the maligned Mary Magdalene. You know, there's people with all sorts of checkered pasts. This is not the aristocracy. This is not the nobility. And Jesus is saying, well, who's my mom? Who, who are my brothers? Who are my sisters? Who is family? You are. And you are. And you are. And you are. In fact, whoever does the will of the Father, well, we're, we're family. And he completely blows past all the entrenched understandings of what family was within their culture. Bloodline, ancestry, genealogy, birth order, and even the idea of blessing. Like, who gives the blessing? Who bestows the blessing? It's upon the elder son and all of that. Well, it was the patriarch of the family. Who kind of is the one who over, over, uh, over um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, resides, who resides over family? It was the patriarch in the Roman culture. It was the pater familia. This is the one who sat over it all. And in this moment, Jesus is creating as pater familia, as the patriarch, he is redefining what family looks like at its very core. I cannot emphasize how shocking and scandalous 
this must have been in their day. And guess who Jesus was in that moment that's doing it? Yes, son of God. Yes, fully man, fully God. But he was single. He was single himself. He didn't even have a wife. He didn't even have a family. And here he's reorchestrating an entire new understanding of family and who belongs and who's in. And who is that? Well, I just love these words. Here. Who's here? Like, who's decided to kind of take a step in? Right? The ones I know. They're right here. And whoever is, decides to do the will of God. They're the ones who are actually, actually doing these things. They're, they're, they're known, and they're also needed. And that's what the picture of family looks like. When you have relationship, when you have responsibility, when you're known in relationship, and you're needed with responsibility. And Jesus is doing some really cool things here. And I think in this series, we're going to do some really cool things together in Insta Family. We're going to talk about family through the lens of marriage. And Roy's going to come up and do that next week. Then Sean's going to come back up, and he's going to talk about blended family. And then Shabu, Matthew, uh, my dear friend, he's going to come up and talk about singles. And what does it look like for a single person to be a part of family and to do family? And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to talk about something dear to my heart. What does it look like to be an adoptive or family with foster children or somehow explore? What does it really look like to do family beyond bloodline? So we're, we're going to do, do it all here, right? We're going to look at that, that whole picture. And what I want you to hear is this. I know family's hard. I know your family's not perfect. I know it can be painful. I know some of us can feel on the outs with our family, and the topic of family is a hard one maybe to engage in. What I want you to understand is that Jesus creates an entree, a whole new level of understanding for us, that no matter your family storyline, we can all find ourselves in his family invitation. Now, a couple things I just want to be uh, clear about and maybe unpack a little bit further. And the first is, is, as Jesus is deconstructing for many in their time and culture and for us about family, it's important to still say he's an old school kind of approach to family. The hot topic of his day was related to divorce. While there's great grace in there, when asked about things related to the nuclear family, he took us back to the very origin. He's like, in the beginning, we were created male and female. And they leave uh, their parents, and they cleave to one another, and they become one flesh. And what God has brought together, let no one tear asunder. I love the old school translation. Let no one rip, rip apart. Like, Jesus was not deconstructing as we're experiencing deconstruction today. That's the first thing that I think is important just to mark, and I suspect that Roy's going to talk about that a little bit more next week. Secondly, Jesus, however, challenges our concept of nuclear family when we think about family. 
my mentor that I've um, that I had from college on. His name is Bart, and uh, Bart's now a grandfather. And for a few years, they moved to Guatemala to learn the language, to learn Spanish, to serve down there, and uh, and then they moved back to the uh, Southern California area. And um, at that point in time, their children had had some kids, and they had moved in with Bart and his wife, Linda. And so they, they were like a three-generation home with Bart and Linda, and then their kids, Jason and his wife, and then their, their grandkids. And there was this kind of indefinite sense of how long would their children and their grandchildren be with them. And Bart said the most fascinating thing. He said, when I talk to my um, American friends, they always ask me this question. Well, how long do your kids and grandkids have to be with you, right? As if it's a nu nuisance, right? And of course, cramps their style and their space and the whole thing. He goes, but when I go back to uh, Central and South America, when I go back to Guatemala and I talk to my friends there and I tell them that my son and daughter-in-law and their children are living with us all under one roof, they get the biggest smile on, they fa on their faces and they say, oh, Bart, you're the luckiest man in the world. Now, isn't that a radically different understanding than how many of us think about family? Family is just, uh, it's me and my spouse and it's our kids and we just kind of build a wall around that. And the truth be told, our, that understanding of family really only goes about 75 to 100 years back in time. And it's pretty unique to this place called America versus the rest of the world that thinks multi-generationally about family. And I remember another mentor of mine, he said, the idea of the nuclear family is a failed experiment that goes back only about 75 years. And when he said it, I was shocked. I was like, who are you? I, I don't, you know, like, that's crazy to me. But then I began to think about the pressures on families today that have no support system like a grandparent or a great-grandparent. This, we have to do this only in isolation. We talked about Downton Abbey being far more biblical than perhaps we might think, not because of the nobility and the aristocracy, but because when they thought about family, it was all under the household. And when the scriptures talk about family and they talk about the household, it included those that were a part of the family business. It included multi-generations. It was people that orbited in and out of the family, transcending, as Sean said, bloodlines, social status, and the like. So when you look in the New Testament, when you look in the book of Acts, and it says, like, for one guy, his name was Cornelius, and Cornelius was saved, which means he gave his life to Jesus, and the whole household was saved. That wasn't him and his spouse and their 2.5 kids. That was everyone that worked on the farm. That was everybody that worked in the house in Downton Abbey terms. That was everybody upstairs and downstairs. Because the pater familia, the patriarch of the family, moved in a whole new direction. So did this whole like ecosystem. Or again, it's called in the scriptures, the Greek word is oikos. That's a challenge for me to think about. I love my little nuclear family, my wife Elise and Mia and Brianna and Hadley, and, right? But I also know that I could miss out if that's all I'm focused on. That I could miss out 
on the message of Jesus and what he wants most for me and for that little nuclear family. In fact, you know what Jesus knew? That if people were going to follow him fully and freely, he had to confront the idolatry of family. Now we're getting to some pretty deep places. Let me ask you this. How many of you, through your experience, maybe at Shoal Creek or elsewhere, your heart began to grow on fire for God? You began to be intrigued by this person of Jesus. He was made accessible to you in a new way. And something just rang true to the depths of your being about that. But as you took a step towards it, where did some of your flack come from? Where was the resistance? Oftentimes, it's from our family. Maybe you grew up in a different tradition. Maybe a different faith orientation. Or maybe you are part of a family that's so dysfunctional that when someone tries to step into the better version of themselves, the, the family system and unit just wants to drag them back down to their level. Jesus said things like, hey, I've not come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword and to divide moms and dads and brothers and step, you know, like he just like, look, I'm all for family and family matters. And yet, here's the third point. He prioritizes spiritual family even over the importance of physical and earthly family. And that's what he seems to be doing here. Did he love his mom? Absolutely. Did he love his brothers? Maybe. I'm kidding. But it is interesting to me that when he was hanging on the cross, he loved his mom so much that he took care of her and made sure that she was in the right kind of place of care. And who did he bestow the care of his mother upon, the responsibility, the honor of caring for his mother? Was it his brother James or any of his other brothers or sister? No. Look with me in John chapter 19. Near the cross of Jesus, where he, where he was hanging, stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, that's John, he said to her, woman, here is your son, and said to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. How radical a thought is that? First of all, you see the care that in his anguish, torture, and leveraging some of his last breaths, he makes sure that his mom's cared for. And in so doing, only affirms what he said in that crowded room. Who is my brother? Who is my brother? He transcends bloodline birth order, and blessing to care for, for his mom. Jesus prioritizes spiritual family, and there's genius in that. You know why? Because as an earthly family, as a, a nuclear family, how will you grow? How will things get healed? 
only by being a part of a spiritual family, only by the power of God and the healing touch of the Father and orbiting in an oikos such as Shoal Creek. And that's where I want to just leave you today. I want to leave you actually with the question of, have you made your spiritual family enough of a priority? Because the riches, the goodness, yes, the funkiness, yes, the quirkiness, yes, the imperfections. This side of heaven, the family of God, we've got our moles and our blemishes for sure, and yet, I just have to tell you, there's nothing sweeter than being known and needed. And I just want to give you a picture of how, how to think about that. That what is family? It's right here. When you're known, when you, when you walk through uh, and, and gather an experience like this, it's like, hey, how are you? How are you doing, right? And, you, and you're known, and there's conversation, and there's connections, but there's also needed such that if you didn't show up, people would miss you. They would notice. Is that true today? Now, by the way, if you're a guest here at Shoal, we just want you to feel all the freedom to say, mm, it's okay that I'm neither known or needed. In fact, it's okay that I'm Neither of those things, in fact, I just prefer to right now be a stranger <laughs> to these things, not like stranger danger, right? But just like, I'm just checking it out. You might be online going, before I ever even walk through these doors, I just want to get a feel for this place. Don't want to be known, don't want to be needed. And guess what? We create a space for that. And that's a value that we, that we have here at Shoal Creek. Some of us, though, you might be known. Maybe, maybe you're in a small group of some nature. Maybe you are, um, you're, just, you're just around enough for people to know you, but you don't have a role to play. You haven't really stepped in, as Jesus would put it, doing the will of the Father, at least in the context of Shoal Creek. And if that's true, then you're known as a guest, but you're not needed. And that's how we treat guests when you come into the home. You're like, hey, this is great. You're here for two or three days. That's awesome. Uh, we've made your bed, right? Here's some, uh, you know, here, here's some mints, you know. Here's, uh, we're going to cook for you and the whole thing. But after about three or four days, what do you start saying? Cups are over there, <laughs> right? Here's, you're like, there's this thing called Grubhub. Order some food for yourself, right? At some point, you need to be needed, now, if all you are is needed, but you're not known, then you're an employee. Unless you work for an awesome company. But some of you, your way of feeling value is just to work, 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 serve, 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 serve. And if you're not known, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. I've seen it many times over. Serve, 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 serve till you're burnt out. And then you'll ask this question. I serve everyone else around here, but does anybody know about me? Does anyone care about my needs? 
And there's something interesting that happens where as a church, as a spiritual family, we'll just let you do it because we have so many needs. Like, that's so awesome. And we, we like celebrate you for what you do. And you love that until you don't. And so we're both complicit in that. Because to really be a part of a family, you have to be known and needed. And so I, 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 um, I'm a little gun-shy to say this. But if all you do is, is volunteer every single Sunday and you don't come into the service or you volunteer but you're not a part of a small group, I'm just telling you at some point you're going to burn out and it's going to bottom out. And so we need healthy rhythm, margin, etc. Most, most importantly, we need to be known and needed. My question for you is do you see yourself in any one of these particularly three quadrants? Have you just been a guest far too long? You've just been checking things out, but you have maybe some commitment challenges, and you just go, yeah, why do we just keep floating? There's, there's some, like, commitment phobia going on here, but we're missing out on the riches of being known and needed. And what would it look like to actually step into a role? And others of you, are you like, hey, I'm here, I'm serving all, all, all out, but... I'm not known, and I need to be. Because I can tell you the heart for us here at Shoal Creek is that everybody shows up. We know one another's names and stories, and we miss you when you're not here because we love you, and we also needed you because that's what family is. That's what a church is. There's one part of the um, story I didn't tell you at the Lynn Dawson Tribute. It was like the most beautiful thing ever. How many of you heard about it or, or saw it on TV, right? And it's all anybody could talk to or talk about on, on the post-game interviews and everything. And it was a beautiful tribute. It was not beautiful to me, however. I'm sitting in the stands. I knew about Lynn Dawson's passing. But when Mahomes and his offensive line run out to huddle, I don't have a clue what's going on. All I care about is that my 15-year-old daughter, this is his, her first Chiefs game, I want her to see Patrick Mahomes play. And there's the big question of, is he even going to play a series or not? So we're analyzing all the warm-ups. We got there super early, and she's like, oh, Dad, he's warming up. I think he's going to play. Oh, Dad, he's got his pads on. I think he's going to play. Oh, Dad, he's running out onto the field. Oh, Dad, they're huddling up. High fives. And then the next thing, he's running off the field. And as everyone else is clapping and cheering, I'm going, no! Boo! And I didn't know the full story. I was booing the wrong thing. For my daughter and our earthly family, right? But I didn't know the larger family story of what was going on. Sometimes we boo the wrong things. Sometimes we're resistant to the wrong things. Sometimes we miss the forest from the trees. What is your next step? If any of this is poking at your kind of sense of place here, 
Do you need to be known? Do you need to be needed? Is this your family? It's okay if you decide not. But please decide when that time's right. Of course, not if this is your first Sunday. But there's some power, blessing, and riches when we step in and say, who's my family? Oh, it's you. It's you. It's you online. It's you. And we're together all doing the will of God, making Jesus accessible for our friends, for our family, for our city and beyond. Let's pray together. Just want to give you just some space just to process a second. This is not, by the way, a hard sell just to get you to attend an event or something. I'm really just speaking to that place in our hearts where our priorities are maybe just a little misaligned. And there's something holding us back from all that Jesus offers, and we're resistant. We maybe aren't sure why. Maybe we've been booing the wrong thing, missing the bigger story, and all the riches and goodness that comes with it. If you think that I've said today that your family under your roof doesn't matter, please hear this. It absolutely does. It's what this series is about. And yet, what's the best thing that could possibly happen for each of our families underneath each of our roofs? It's for Jesus to be ever-increasing Lord of our lives. And it's for the family of God to wrap their arms around our family. This is what we want for you healing, restoration, connection, care, breakthrough, thriving. So do you need to be known? Do you need to be needed? Do you hunger for the family that Jesus offers? So, Spirit of God, we just ask you to do the sifting, the settling, to bring the warmth and weight of heaven upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.